Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Well, the markets may be an absolute mess, but the infrastructure bill is worse. And right now, I don't care that Jim Clyburn thinks that there's a possibility that the vote can be delayed. What he's saying is, oh, no, we can sa- we can salvage this. I don't think we can. And that's good news for us. Jim Clyburn is just playing a game of hope on hope on hope. He misread, as did Speaker Pelosi, as did Bernie Sanders, as did Ocasio-Cortez, misread the Democratic Party. This is a great conversation of the progressives versus what people, I guess, would still want to term as the Democrats. I've made the argument there are no moderate Democrats. They get pushed out. They get pushed to the side. This could be an interesting place where they've made their voice heard. And they will suffer greatly because of it. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It is so good to be with you. Facebook Tony Katz Radio. Twitter Tony Katz. And of course, everything at TonyKatz.com. Let's start with the basics, shall we? The infrastructure bill was first this bipartisan effort of $1.2 trillion. Too much money as I see it. Not enough focus on infrastructure as I see it. But they're going to say, hey, we got this through on a bipartisan way. Let's make this happen. But then we learned... That Joe Biden, being the radical that he is, because, I mean, that's that's who's pushing him along. And Speaker Pelosi, being the radical that she is, not caring about the country, only caring about party. We should be clear that Speaker Pelosi doesn't care about the country. Now, if you want to say this about other people, you're more than welcome to. If you want to say this uh, 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 about uh, Republicans, you can you can do that. You can feel free to do such a thing. We're not going to leave Speaker Pelosi out of this conversation. We're not going to let Speaker Pelosi say things like this and then just walk away. I appreciate your question. Uh, Why you say that about what I say about the Republicans is I say to my Republican friends, and I do have some, (laughs) take back your party. You're the grand old party of America. You've done wonderful things for our country. You've now been hijacked by a cult uh, that is, is just not good for our country. Take back your party. This is exactly how so many on the political right feel about the political left. You've been hijacked by Ocasio-Cortez. You've been hijacked by the wokeism. You've been hijacked by the communists. You've been hijacked by Bernie Sanders' disgusting, despicable nonsense policies. Remember, Bernie Sanders has never held a job. He only knows how to attack you for having a job. He wrote a book and made millions? This is his job? He has worked for government his entire life. He has never once signed the front of a paycheck. And he has three homes. This little gig he has about socialism really worked out well for him. It's not going to work out well for you. And he's a cultist, and the people who believe in this communist nonsense are cultists. Just so we all understand, uh, Speaker, uh, not Speaker, but uh, Representative Ocasio-Cortez is a cultist. This is a woman who goes to the, to the Met Gala. And as we all know, $30,000, $35,000 a ticket. And as we know, she's wearing the dress that says, tax the rich. And what is it all about? It's about being a working class woman of color. When Aurora and I were first kind of partnered, uh, we really started having a conversation about what it means to be working class women of color at the Met. And 
and we said, you know, we can't just play along, but we need to break the fourth wall and challenge some of the institutions. And, and you know, while the Met is known for its, its spectacle, we should have a conversation about it. Yeah. Is that what you think you should do? Her designer, Aurora, is accused of owing $100,000 in back taxes and not paying her rent. Meanwhile, she showed up with her boyfriend, who is part of the Seagram fortune, worth about $2.5 billion. What in the world does she know about being, you know, working class? And why would anybody believe this lie? It's a lie. This is just the scam, man. That's all it is. This is the game she plays to try and get people to believe that she's down with the working folk. No one of the working folk variety showed up at the, at the Met Gala unless, of course, they were wearing a mask. The people wearing the masks, they were the working folk, right? They're, they're, the, they're the people who are downstairs at Downton Abbey. All the upper crust, no, 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 no masks for them. And you know where you saw Representative Ocasio-Cortez. But these people who are these cultists and, and lead the cult, they think they can just get anything done by being hyper-aggressive and hyper-attack. And some Democrats are saying we're not so sure. So this infrastructure bill, the $3.5 trillion, that's the one that has really nothing having to do with infrastructure. It has to do with climate. It has to do with child care. As we've learned, it has to do with curbing, curtailing uh, the crypto world. Then, of course, we learned it had to do um, with immigration, that there were uh, um, policies within this infrastructure bill that would allow people into the country and clear the pathway to citizenship. The Senate parliamentarian, her name is Elizabeth McDonough, has said, sorry, you can't do this via reconciliation. Reconciliation is that budget process. You don't need Republican input. You don't have to have debate. You don't have to vote to open debate and vote to close debate. You can just go about a vote, get your 50 Democrats, let Kamala Harris, the vice president, be the tiebreaker, and be done. And the parliamentarian said, yeah, you can't do this. You can't do this. You can't decide just to make people American citizens through budget reconciliation. That's not how it works. Sorry, you got to have debate there. You're going to have to get the 60 votes to open a conversation and the 60 votes to close a conversation. And Democrats are infuriated. Absolutely infuriated. Chuck Schumer, we are deeply disappointed in the... Should I do it in Chuck Schumer voice? We are deeply disappointed in this decision. But the fight to provide lawful status for immigrants in budget reconciliation continues. I know, it's so gross. It's so gross. But, my, but the impression is gold. It's gold, people. They're admitting that they want to move forward on this. They're aware that their infrastructure bill is a bunch of bunk. They know that it's been exposed. They don't care. They are such radicals, such partisans, just like Speaker Pelosi, who does not care about her country, only cares about her party, that they're willing to move forward. Well, Joe Manchin has already said, the senator from West Virginia, he's not down for $3.5 trillion. Senator Sinema is saying, break your word on infrastructure, Speaker Pelosi, and I'm out. 
I already told you that Representative Jim Clyburn thinks there could be a delay on the vote for this infrastructure bill. September 27th, right? Oh, we, could, we could do a delay on this vote. Well, now Cinema is saying that if you delay it, we're out. If you delay, I'm not backing any reconciliation bill whatsoever. You also have members of Congress, Democrats, saying, no, 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 we're not down for this. We're not in for this. If they delay the vote or it goes down, then I think you can kiss reconciliation goodbye. Reconciliation will be dead. And so it should be. Now, I started with, remember how this all happened. They were passing this $1.2 trillion or voting on it, and then they were going to vote on this $3.5 trillion. And then it was Biden who said they both have to show up at my desk at the same time. So it was a way of trying to say to Republicans, I know you voted for the $1.2, but if you don't vote for this $3.5, you don't get your $1.2 as a way to put pressure on them. And people were like, that's weird. And clearly that you told them this wasn't the case, and then you said you did, so you're lying so you're you, you lied to them. And then Biden said, you know what? I'm a man of my word. You bring me the 1.2 and I'll sign it. Because he didn't have to worry about that. Because Speaker Pelosi and Bernie Sanders were the ones saying it's both bills or it's nothing. So now it seems that it's going to be nothing. Right now, infrastructure looks like it is going to explode. But remember, it was never about infrastructure. And this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where you have to have the conversation. It wasn't about infrastructure. It was about a political party that doesn't care how they lie as long as they get what they want. Now, I would say, as clear as day, you should not be in favor of any political party that's willing to lie to get what they want. Explain your case And then persuade people. Lying? That's how you're going to do it? You're going to do it by lying to the people? Well, that's exactly what it is that has taken place in this infrastructure bill. It's exactly what's taking place here. And I got to tell you, I'm super thrilled to see it go down in freaking flames. Absolutely thrilled and overjoyed to see it burn to the ground. Now, the question is, does anybody learn anything from all this? Does anybody learn anything from this happening? And the answer is nope. Democrats will use this as a way of saying Republicans don't want roads and don't care about children. So vote for us. They will, they will base everything on the idea that the American people aren't paying attention, aren't noticing, and don't care. Isn't this exactly what they did with Afghanistan? Isn't this exactly what they did with Afghanistan? By the way, we're, still, we're, we're no longer talking about the fact that we left Americans behind. We left them to die. I'm still talking about it. But their whole plan was, their whole plan, their whole hope, their entire belief system was based on the idea that we would forget We would forget people hanging from airplanes trying to get out of the country. We would forget 13 U.S. service members killed. We would forget Americans and Afghanis who worked with us left for dead. This was their plan. Instead, you have Democrats talking about what a fantastic job Joe Biden did. Just lying through their teeth. Absolutely lying through their teeth.
So I'm glad that this bill has gone down. Now, what will come next? Well, I think that there'll be Republicans who won't learn the lesson and will try and do this again. This this one bill. But it probably won't be $1.2 trillion, It'll be $1.9 because they're going to do some, some you know, they, they have to get Bernie on board somehow. I don't think you have to get Bernie on board anyhow. Bernie Sanders doesn't know how to create uh, an infrastructure for a nation. He doesn't know how to create a nation. He doesn't know how to keep a nation. He only knows how to destroy a nation. I don't think we should let Bernie Sanders be any part of the conversation. Screw Bernie Sanders. Push that old man to the side. Push that old commie to the side. Now, normally, I wouldn't bring up his age, right? What does his age have to do with, with, with anything? So you know what? I'll apologize now, and I will no longer bring up his age again, because that clearly is wrong. Push that commie to the side. Oh, I'm not apologizing for commie. I totally mean that. I mean that every, every step of the way. I mean that. And don't let him be a part of the conversation. If Bernie Sanders brings it up, vote no. That's how you handle it. The Democrats had to work overtime to ensure Bernie wasn't the candidate. But yet they allow Bernie to run things in the Senate. I think they should continue the same uh, line of thought, and Republicans should too. If Bernie Sanders brings it up, we're going to oppose it vehemently, including saying anything to make it stop. That should be the new rule. Bernie can't bring it up. Ban Bernie. Because communists can't be trusted. And of course Bernie's a communist. I don't know why he's denying it. Democratic socialist. I'll kiss my butt. Democratic socialist. Not even a thing. Doesn't matter if there's an organization called Democratic Socialists of America. It's a lie. Why? Because all communists lie. It's wordplay. They told you it was infrastructure, but it was really about immigration. It's a lie, bitches. So what are we doing? How about we just call out the liars and say we don't allow them to have a part of the conversation anymore? We just put an end to this nonsense. That's my take. What's yours? I'm Tony Katz. So is the Biden administration going to do an audit of all bank accounts of more than $600 in the U.S.? No, but Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. People getting super upset with this, that the Biden plan requires. um, And this is is um, his uh, I don't don't know which 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 new plan this is that the Biden Treasury Department is going to say that the IRS will monitor transactions of all U.S. accounts over six hundred dollars. And I saw this in a couple places, and it turns out it came out from InfoWars. I'm like, oh, holy heck, what is this? But I saw it in a lot of places. I'm like, I didn't catch this. Well, what's happening, as I know it, was it was the Treasury Department making the proposal, and you've got Senate Finance and House Ways and Means that could adopt it as part of budget reconciliation. And under the measure institutions banks would be required to report gross inflows and outflows from business and personal accounts bank loan investment accounts and if the inflows and outflows of an account um have at least six hundred dollars in a year or if the account has a fair market value of at least six hundred dollars 
it would be required to put those in a report. Well, there's really very little difference between what the guys over there at InfoWars put up as a, as a headline and what's happening here. There, there, there's, there's no, uh, it's not happening yet, but there is a proposal, right? So you could argue that the headline doesn't really hit the story, but the story is there. That there is this want, this desire to make sure that everybody's paying their fair share of taxes. They say no information on the actual transactions, but inflows and outflows. So if you can see how much money someone's moving around, if you're keeping an eye on that, maybe they're moving their money somewhere else. Maybe you want to start creating a tax on that. Who knows where these people go? Wait till when people start moving their money out of the country, as they are. That's where we're going to see more and more taxes. We've already seen California do this. You want to move? You still pay us income taxes. They don't care what you do. They care what your money does. And through controlling the money, yeah, they'll have some some say over you as well. This is a weird, weird proposal. And it certainly looks like it is um, the the federal government looking to keep tabs on what it is Americans are doing so they can tax appropriately. Again, it's only about the money. Uh, Whether or not you have privacy is inconsequential what matters is they have their money and that's what makes them so absolutely horrifically evil you should be able to have a bank account and they should have absolutely no looking into your bank account at all and the people who think, oh, well, we got to make sure these people are paying their fair share. These are some ugly folk. So it's an interesting story because they want to say it as, oh, just a bunch of, bunch of crackpots. Uh, not so crackpot. Wait a second. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, looking at this. You know, the plan here is to really help the IRS get better at finding noncompliance, finding people who are cheating. Well, I, I think you should start with uh, Representative Ocasio-Cortez's designer, who owes 100 grand of back taxes. And oh, oh, Al Sharpton, he owes crazy money too. Yeah, start there. Start with those two. I'm, sh- I'm sure there are others. This is Tony Katz today. The Crown and Ted Lasso, those are your Emmy winners. I swear to you, I had no idea the Emmys were the Emmys. The Emmys were happening. I had no clue. I had no clue at all that the Emmys were going on. I don't think anybody did. Uh, John Oliver, producer Ari's favorite one, so good. He loves him. He doesn't even question whether John Oliver has the facts right. He's just like whatever John Oliver says. He's like pumping it into my veins. I'll totally agree. Right. Uh, Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's so true. It's so true, producer Ari. Whatever John, every week, did you see John Oliver? Who's so great. You know what he said? I believe it now. He cites, uh, his, he cites his sources. 
I'm, I'm an Oliverite. That's what I am. That's my religion now. That's what he says. Uh, but Jason Sudeikis, your best actor in, in, a, in a comedy for uh, Ted Lasso, which producer Ari hates. And then they won Best Supporting Actor and Best Supporting Actress. But there's this show, Hacks. I never heard of Hacks. Uh, all I know is Jean Smart won an Emmy, and I think she's a crazy good comic actress. I think Jean Smart is very, very good, talented, talented person. But I think the story from the Emmys is, of course, uh, the, the story that they weren't wearing masks. Only the low-end folk and your two-year-old kid have to wear masks. They don't have to wear masks. I mean, that's the story. And me, I think you should just take the mask right off. I mean, if somebody wants to wear one, I'm not going to get on their case. But the idea of force, I think that everyone should be pushing back and actually fighting back and saying, no, they don't stop COVID. No, this is all craziness. This is all madness. This is all a complete and total scam. And was it Gottlieb? Yeah, it was Gottlieb, who I am not a fan of. We should be clear. But lately, he's been on a tear. The former FDA director, he's, he's anti-cigar, so I'm not a fan. But this whole thing about the six-foot rule being arbitrary? And you're right. The six feet was arbitrary. The six feet was arbitrary in and of itself. But if the administration had focused in on that, they might have been able to affect a policy that would have actually achieved their outcome. But mm-hmm. that policy-making process didn't exist. And the six feet is a perfect example of sort of the lack of um, rigor around how CDC made recommendations. Nobody knows where it came from. Most people assume that the six feet of distance, the recommendation for keeping six feet apart, comes out of some old studies related to flu, where droplets don't travel more than six feet. We now know COVID spreads through aerosols. The initial recommendation that the CDC brought to the White House, and I talk about this, was 10 feet. And a, a political appointee in the White House said, we can't recommend 10 feet. Nobody can measure 10 feet. It's inoperable. Society will shut down. So the compromise was around six feet. Of course it was. Of course it was political. Is there anything that the former FDA director is saying there that we didn't already know? And the answer is no. There's nothing else being said there that we didn't already know. Oh, yeah, I am in favor of telling the schools to go to hell and telling the airlines to go to hell and the rest of them. This mass mandate stuff is nonsense. Don't do it. Don't do it. But, I mean, people can do what they want. If you want to wear one, go right ahead. It's the mandates. It's the fear factor. You know, this whole wearing a mask is basically proving that you're part of the cool kids club. That's the way it plays out politically. I wear a mask to show everybody. That you're what? Not a believer in science? Sure. I mean, if it makes you feel better, fine. But you're not showing anybody anything other than I will follow along. When the science is not in your favor, the six feet not in your favor, science should matter. It should matter. That's why I'm not anti-vax, because the science shows that the people who take the vaccine, they have an easier time dealing with COVID. Losing weight also helps, because obesity as a comorbidity, that's a bad sign for you. That's a really bad sign. But I, I filed this under who didn't know that this was political. And that was the evil. And that still is the evil. I go back to those early days. I go back to those early days of COVID. And saying out loud, we are the society that is going to politicize a virus for an election. That was the ugliest part of America. 
absolutely the ugliest part. The part that really, if, if, if anything, you know, shook me, if I was shook to my core, it was this idea that we were going to utilize a virus in this way and not say, hey, let's go kick this thing's ass. Let's go deal with this. We were going to engage it politically. That's why I won't listen to Kamala Harris, the vice president. She doesn't get to talk to me about virus or, or vaccines. She's the one who said, don't trust uh, Donald Trump. She said the words. She didn't say the words. It was around those words. It was those words. It doesn't matter what the actual words were. The sentiment is clear. I don't know if I trust the vaccine under Donald Trump. Joy Reid said it as well over there at MSNBC. I wasn't going to trust a vaccine under Trump where everything was run by Trump and, and he was scaring everybody just to say what he wanted to, but now I believe it. You created hesitancy. And there's still hesitancy, and that's fine. What I wanted to get into was the idea of who didn't know that the six-foot rule was arbitrary. We knew it. Even if we never said it out loud in the back of our heads, we were like, this is ridiculous. It's like hearing that Mike Pence is preparing for a run for president of the United States. Of course he's running for president of the United States. Who in the world was questioning whether or not Mike Pence was running for president of the United States. What a, what a ridiculous question. Is he going to win? Of course not. He won't win a primary. He won't win a state. Because preparing to run for president is different than running for president. And I am just stunned at the amount of people who don't know this. And the amount of people buying up these stories, lapping up these stories... So let's go through what we're discussing here. The former vice president seems to be putting together a team to consider a run. Planning on it, regardless of whatever Donald Trump does or doesn't do. Is he going to run? Is he not going to run? I have no idea. I don't spend any time thinking about it. He is going to just jerk everybody around as much as possible until the moment. You know why? Because that's what you do. You run for president so you can have a voice. You run for president so you can sell speaking gigs. You can run for president so you can sell your books. There are reasons to run for president of the United States. But as I have argued on this very show for four years now, I, I remember the first time I had this conversation, I thought producer Ari was going to fall out of his chair. Mike Pence shouldn't run for president. Mike Pence is a massive believer in servant leadership. Big believer in it. Part of his faith, part of who he is as a person. It is because of this that Mike Pence, I think, has an issue with running, but doesn't have an issue with serving. As a candidate... The former vice president is unelectable as president. The Trump supporter, hardened, will not go for him. Some of those people, unfortunately, think of him as a traitor for not sending the states, the, the, the election results back to the states for recertification. There is nothing that I have read that would have given Mike Pence that power. Please, show me where. Don't say to me he could have done it. Show me where. 
There is nothing constitutionally prescribed or anything else I have seen that would give him this ability. And he's not a traitor for not doing so. States failed him. Pennsylvania should not have certified. Clearly, Georgia should not have certified the election results. Because in Pennsylvania, the legislature, I'm sorry, the judicial usurped the legislator. Legislature. I can never say that. I, every time I mess it up. The judicial service or the judicial branch usurped the legislature by saying, well, we can extend deadlines and we don't have to worry about signatures here. And the entire state should have been decertified. And that's why I agree with the Texas lawsuit against these other states, because they, they are the ones who, are, who disenfranchised voters in Texas and other places. If you tell me the legislature is in charge of elections and then the judicial branch comes up and makes changes without legislative input, that is usurping the people of other states, the citizens of other states. Of course it is. I wish the Supreme Court had taken that case. They decided not to. That doesn't mean that the case had no merit. It means they simply decided not to take the case. That's what it means. I'm in the camp of Alito and and Clarence Thomas that this is exactly the kind of case that the Supreme Court is supposed to take. This is exactly what they're supposed to do. Answer these tough, tough questions. But they 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 didn't they didn't do it. They didn't they didn't do it. But Pence is not a traitor. How silly. Pence is unelectable. Pence does not have enough of the Trump tough. Pence is not quick enough on his feet to play the tough game. Pence plays establishment Republican rules. That's who he is. I'm not even saying that as a negative. I'm saying it's just a a statement of fact. He plays by establishment Republican rules. And establishment Republican rules cannot get you elected. However, I think he's going to make an absolutely exceptional Secretary of State. Because Mike Pence has the opportunity to be the last true Republican statesman. That's his legacy. That's where he offers great opportunity and value to any candidate. If it's DeSantis, if it's Abbott, uh, I don't know who else is going to be in the top tier. Because right now, man... Christy Nome of South Carolina, not South Carolina, of South Dakota, she's taking punches like it's her job. Like it's her job. Who You can pick somebody from the establishment. You can pick somebody from the, the outsider class. In any case, what you get is how Mike Pence can help them in a cabinet. The experience, the leadership, he, you, they, you know that he won't ever go off script. You, won't, you know he'll never go rogue. You know that he's not trying to run for president because he's never going to be president. That's very, very helpful. You can have a more honest di- and open dialogue with him. And by the way, he's a politically astute cat, is, is, is Mike Pence. He's, he's a value, I think, in a war room. But he can't win. Mike Pence will never win the presidency because the base won't do it. 
they're not going to vote for him. And the nation simply, they're going to attack this guy as being anti-gay from now until the end of time. So, no. I mean, I guess you could create situations if it's Kamala Harris and she's absolutely as hated as she is. All right, everything's possible. But what is the scenario that gets you into a pence over a DeSantis? Or over an Abbott? Well, we'll let things play out. But they, that Pence is working on this doesn't surprise me at all. You got to stay in the conversation. You got to stay in the game. You got to keep people talking about you. Saying, you know, not answering the question whether or not you're running and teasing it out there, that's the political version of a sex tape. And the idea that Mike Pence is running for president in a serious way is nothing more than his sex tape. To get you to buy his book and pay for his speeches and bring him in for a speech. Of course it is. It's exactly what he should do. Speaking of, I, I, I should announce that I'm forming an exploratory committee to run for president. And uh, producer Ari will be handling all my speaking fees. No, I won't. So get with him right away and book Tony Katz for your event. By the way, if you do want to book Tony Katz for your event, you can actually reach out to producer Ari. We do that. Wait, can, he, can they not reach out to you, producer Ari? Oh, for that, sure. As long as it's not you running for any office. Okay. We'll see. I'm Tony Katz. So what happens if you throw a rally and nobody comes? That's what happened in D.C. They were going to have this big Justice for J6 rally and... No one showed up. There were more press and police than actual protesters. Now, let me say for the record, I have got no problem with people wanting to engage their First Amendment rights anytime they want. If you want to have a rally, go right ahead. If you want to discuss whether or not people who got arrested for activities on January 6th are having access to lawyers and are being detained without being charged, that's a worthwhile conversation. And that's a conversation that should exist regardless of your political party. Because if you're okay with your government detaining people without charging them, mm, you, you are the problem. You are the authoritarian your mother always warned you about. Just so we understand each other and how these things work. But I never quite understood what it is they were, they were engaged, what they were there for, right? What was this supposed to be all about? I had not heard much about it except for, you know, CNN harpings and, oh, they were going to, they're going to, you know, put up the fencing again. They have to be scared. They're, they're, they're worried. Oh, all right, fine. You want to be afraid. The only thing I brought it up on, I brought it up last week, was when they said uh, the, the Capitol Police has asked for uh, assistance. I don't know, it was National Guard or whatever it was. And people are like, oh, yeah, sure, it's all theater. I guess it's theater. But isn't this exactly what we wanted them to do on January 6th and they didn't do it for whatever odd reason? Something I'd like to know the answer to? So if they asked for it, I don't mind them asking for it. Now it will be when do they ask and when do they not ask? At what events do they not ask for extra help and will that be a problem? That's the question. At when will they ask and when will they not ask? But I don't, I don't mind that they did. 
I mind that people decided that somehow a rally is the end of days. It's not an end. It's people engaged in their First Amendment rights. You want to gather people together and talk about George Floyd or policing or whatever else? Go right ahead. That's never the problem. If you then try and break windows or you break windows or you set banks on fire, well then, you should expect rubber bullets. And if you say to me, how dare you, I will say to you, and I'm quoting here, rioting will not be tolerated. You ain't that damn special. That's true of people on January 6th. That's true of people um, uh, in Minneapolis or Seattle or Indianapolis. Now, if your government's trying to crack down on you like in Australia until you can't leave your house, well, then, okay, it's fine. <laughs> There's a difference. We should be honest about these things. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio. Parlor, Instagram, Twitter, at Tony Katz. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Tomorrow, everyone, take care.